invite you to join me in 1 Samuel 18, if you were not there already. 1 Samuel 18. My clicker is not working. There we go. 1 Samuel 18, verses 17 to 30. We're going to open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this evening as we stand at the dawn of a new year, we take some time to pause and to look back. Truly, we proclaim this evening, you are always good. And yet we confess that we do not always see that. But Lord, help us to believe it. To know deep down in our soul that you are always good. As we look back and as we look ahead, we cling to these truths. That all things work together for good. Not for what I want or what I deem to be good, but all things work together for what you deem to be good for me, according to your work in me, molding me into your will. Give me faith to see that and to accept it, Lord. The cry of our heart, not just our mouth, would be, you are always only good. Even as we turn our attention to this passage this evening, Lord, we see an example of a man who sometimes things seem to be not going his way. And yet, as we peek behind the curtain, we see that you are always at work. And that truly you are always only good. We pray that you would be honored in all that we say and do in this hour. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. How many of you have ever been to a puppet show? You can raise your hand. I know we're Baptist church, but you can raise your hand this time. How many of you have ever had, had the privilege of sitting backstage at a puppet show and seeing what goes on behind the scenes? It's quite the sight. There's a lot more going on behind the scenes than what you see when you're watching a puppet show, right? When you're watching the show, you see these things up, moving around, and and it looks good. But behind the scenes, there's people climbing over each other. They're moving around. They're they're getting to where they need to go. There's a lot more that you can't see than what you can see. I used to, in South Carolina, my dad cleans a a massive Southern Baptist church. And uh, it used to be one of my accounts that I would clean for him. And downstairs, where they stored all their cleaning uh, stuff, their cleaning closet was behind a puppet stage for their, their kids' program. They just had this massive puppet stage. And it was, it was amazing to go in there and to look back there. Everything that goes into it, all the things behind the scenes that you cannot see. And the reality is that life is a lot like that. We see a little bit. We see things that are going on. But what we do not see 
is what God is doing behind the scenes. We don't catch the full picture. We just catch a glimpse. Then this evening in our passage, we, we have the privilege of kind of peeking behind the curtain a little bit to see how God is at work protecting David, a man to whom he has made a promise. And you even have the king who's doing everything he can to thwart David, even to kill David. Yet you have God behind the scenes orchestrating things, protecting at work even in a way that we cannot see. And so this evening we're going to follow the actions of three characters. In this passage there's three uh, main characters. There's Saul, there's David, and really behind the scenes there's the Lord. And so what we'll see is Saul, the evil king, David, the good servant, and the Lord, the provident protector. First thing we see this evening is Saul. Saul, the evil king. And right as you start out in verse 17, we see Saul's hatred for David. It says, Then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter, Merib. I will give her to you as a wife. Be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. And, and here we're kind of given a clue going back even into to Saul's inner dialogue. What is Saul's plan? Why is Saul doing this? For Saul thought, Let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Saul, the king of Israel, hates David so much that he wants to kill him. So he's devised this, plan, devised this plan to send him out to battle, hoping that he'll be killed in battle. As we jump into that, this passage, that are, the question then jumps in, well, why in the world does Saul hate this guy so much? Well, we've been going through this. We started in uh, 1 Samuel 16, looking at David, the life of David. And back there in 1 Samuel 16, we saw, we're introduced to David, this young shepherd boy. As Samuel comes and, and the Lord has sent him, Saul has been rejected from the king. He's, God has set him aside. He's taken his spirit from him. And he sends Samuel to find another king. He sends him to this family. And the first thing we learn about David as we're introduced to him is that David is not very impressive. In fact, that's, that's kind of the funny thing about that passage is Samuel walks in and, well, surely it's this brother. He, he is tall and strong and it has to be him. And God says, no. Well, well then it's, it's that one over there. Look at him. No. Well, what about this one? No. And he goes through all the brothers and God brought me here. You've got to have another son. Well, there is this guy out in the fields. Well, bring him in. And he comes in, and this is the one. This lowly shepherd boy who even his brothers and his father didn't believe in. This is the one that God has chosen. So we see this David, the one chosen by God to be king. Then we see David as skilled as well. He's not just a faithful shepherd. He's a skilled musician. In the, the end of chapter 16, as we see this evil spirit that comes upon the king Saul, and he needs someone to comfort him. And David has been well heard of. 
And so Saul's servants say, we know this guy who's, who's skilled. Maybe he could come and play his instrument and the Lord could use that to calm you. And so that ends up happening and David comes in and he's, he's introduced. By no working of his own, he's introduced to the king's court. The one who has been anointed to be king is introduced by the workings of God to the king's court. As David comes and he settles in and he, he's able to play and to comfort Saul. In fact, we're told there that as David meets Saul, that Saul loves David at first. He's impressed by him. He loves him. If you go into 1 Samuel 17, we have the famous story of David and Goliath. David and Goliath. Or as I phrase it, really David and the Lord of hosts. That's what it's really about. David, whose faith is in the Lord of hosts, this young man who is so zealous for the things of the Lord that he stands his ground even against a giant. And David's reputation begins to grow. He is standing out. In fact, that is where the problems start to arise as Saul starts to become jealous of David. As the people begin to sing and to celebrate. And it becomes clear to Saul that the Lord, who has left me, he's with this young man. There's something here. And from that point forward, there's, there's a growing progression as David continues to grow, continues to thrive, and Saul continues to spiral out of control. In fact, we get to where we were last week at the beginning of chapter 18, where Saul gets to the point where he tries to kill David himself. He tries to pin him to the wall with a spear. And so as we come to 1 Samuel 18, there's a lot of background here. We have found David to be a humble, brave, bold, and faithful young man. And what we'll see this, this evening is we'll find David to be faithful and wise. Faithful and wise. And so all of that background, this, this hatred in Saul that has grown to this point, the fact that Saul himself has already tried to kill David right out, trying to pin him to the wall. Back verse 12 says that Saul is afraid of David. He sends him out to the, to the field, out to the, uh, with, he gives him a, uh, some soldiers and sends him out. Away, get away from me. And so now we come to 1 Samuel 18, 17. David has been given this command. He's been given these soldiers. He's been sent out. So why? Why would Saul offer his daughter to a guy that he hates? That's how verse 17 starts. Then Saul said to David, here's my older daughter, Merab. Why would Saul do that? Well, if you remember back in chapter 17, verse 25, part of Saul's promise to whoever killed Goliath was that I will give him my oldest daughter. So this is in fulfillment of a promise that he has made. He's taken some time to do it. He's taken his time in getting around to it. And in fact, he doesn't even really keep his word here because he, he adds stipulations to it. Here's my older daughter, Merab. I will give her to you as a wife only, right? 
David should have the rights to her already. He's done what Saul has said. But, but, but Saul adds some more here. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. Be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. What we see here is Saul taking advantage of David's zeal. He knows him to be a man who is zealous for the things of the Lord. He saw that back in chapter 17 as David, when no one else would rise up and defend Israel. When no one else would would rise up and challenge this one who was challenging his God. David, zealous for the things of the Lord, stepped up. Saul knows this is a young man who is zealous for the things of the Lord. So in order to get my, what I want, to put David in this position to be killed, I will use my daughters and I'll use that zealousy that I know to be there. So I'll I'll give her to you, only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. I need you to go out and to spend some time out in the field to accomplish some things for me, to defeat some enemies. For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him. Right? Let me let me wash my hands clean of this. I don't want his blood on my hands. But I'll let the Philistines do this. I'll let the Philistines do my dirty work. I will let the Philistines kill him. Having failed to kill David himself in, chapter, in verses 10 and 11, Saul's plan is to buy David's loyalty and send him into battle, hoping that he will be killed in battle. So David says to Saul, Who am I, and what is my life for my father's family in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But it happened at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, the Mahalathite, as a wife. So Saul's original plan falls through. In verses 20 to 21, we see that Saul, though, has not given up. You see, Michael, Saul's daughter, his younger daughter, loves David. And Saul becomes aware of this. In fact, that's, that's one of the ironies of these first several chapters of 16, 17, and 18. You have Saul, who originally loves David. You have the people who love David. You have Jonathan, Saul's own son, who loves David. Here you have Michael, Saul's own daughter, who loves David. Saul stands alone as the one who has grown to hate him. So Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul. And you would expect the next thing to be, and they told Saul. And he was furious that his daughter loved his enemy. That's not what it says. It says they told Saul. And the thing pleased him. The thing pleased him. It's not that Saul has changed. It's not that Saul is pleased at another chance to to add David into his family as a son-in-law. Rather, what we go on to see here is that Saul is pleased at another chance to kill David. Saul said, I will give her to him. Why? That she may be a snare to him. That the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Saul's plan is the same. 
the Philistines can kill him. He just has to shift it from one daughter to the next. So Saul said to David a second time, you shall be my son-in-law. In fact, Saul not only has this plan, now, now he knows because David refused it the first time in verse 18, and we'll get back to that. But now Saul knows that this is probably something that David's not going to accept right away. So I've got I've to orchestrate all of this. I've got to lie to him. I've got to get my servants to go behind the scenes and trick him into doing this. It's like a, a child. Right? My kids sometimes will try to trick me into doing things. They think they're being sneaky. But uh, sorry to tell you guys, but you're not very sneaky. That's Saul here. He's trying to manipulate the situation. And really, part of what this tells you is it tells you Paul, Saul's very small view of God. He knows that God is with David. He knows all of this. And yet he thinks, well, I can't kill him. Well, maybe the Philistines can. Maybe the Philistines can, can thwart God's plan. And so he, he orchestrates all of this, and there's a, a back and forth going on as David is Saul is trying to convince David through his servants to do this. And finally, it comes down to this. David, David finally is somewhat convinced, and yet he, he's still poor. He can't pay the dowry, which is the, the price that you would pay for a bride back in that day. And Saul sees an opportunity. I got it. I don't need money from David. What I want is David to die. So instead of asking for money, I will ask for trophies from those he has defeated. I will send him out to battle. I'll give him some crazy number. I need you to kill 100 men and bring me proof. So Saul said, Thus said to David, The king does not desire any dowry, but 100 foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. Not only does he, does he put it in terms of what David must do for him, but he, he puts it in national terms. He, in, in, in national terms. You're doing this to, to defend your country. These are the king's enemies. So you get a wife out of this, but you also get national pride. But again, we see the inner dialogue inside of Saul. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. You go on to verse 26. These things please David. David uh, ends up going on and doing this, and we'll come, we'll come back to this when we get to David's part. And David goes out, and he does these things. You see that in uh, these verses. And as David comes back, and Saul is forced then to give his daughter Michael to him as a wife. Verse 28, the, the Saul knew that the Lord was with David. You would think at some point, because this is not the first time that we've been told this, you would think at some point that it would click. You would think at some point that Saul would say, you know what, clearly this is God's doing. I'll just accept it, but he doesn't. He knows that the Lord is with David. He knows that Michael, his daughter, loves him. And Saul is still more afraid of David. So Saul becomes David's enemy continually. This doesn't drive him seeing, seeing what the Lord is doing through David. It doesn't drive Saul to repentance to say, you know, I was wrong. Rather, it drives Saul deeper and deeper and deeper into his hate. 
He's more afraid of David, and yet he's more convinced that he needs to kill him. He is more against him than ever. So we see Saul, this evil king, dead set on eliminating David. Then we see David. And throughout this, David is seen as a good servant. We talked about how, how we've come to know him as bold and faithful and wise. And we see that again in this. Back in verse 18, after Saul has first offered his daughter to him, how does David respond? Notice how he responds in humility. David is a humble man. Who am I? And what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? I can't accept this. I have no business doing this. He declines, arguing that he is unworthy to be the king's son-in-law. A high honor, but he declines. So we see David here as, as humble. As you get down to verses 23 to 24, we already walked through the background there where, where Saul comes up with the second plan. Well, if he's not going to marry Merib, I can get him to marry my other daughter, Michael. She loves him. I've got this plan. She'll be my trap. And I will force David to go out and to, to get these trophies and he'll be killed. So he comes up with this plan in verses 23 and 24. And Saul's servants spoke these words in the hearing of David. And David said, notice that David here responds still in humility. Does it seem to you a little thing to be the king's son-in-law, seeing that I am poor and lightly esteemed man? David's answer hasn't changed. I'm, I'm still a nobody. Who am I to marry this king's daughter? Saul, not giving up, comes back. The king doesn't desire any dowry from you. If money's the issue, I'm not, I'm not after money. I just want 100 foreskins of the Philistines. I want you to go out and to kill my enemies and bring back 100 trophies. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now, David, now David is on board. It's interesting, too, that phrase, it pleased him. If you go back to verse 20, when Saul finds out that his daughter loves David, Michael, it we're told that the thing pleased him. It pleased him. Saul's formulating this plan. And now in verse 26, we're told that when David accepts this, that it pleased David. That phrase, it pleased him, it, it kind of stands out. It is, it is used here to show the ironic shift of this passage. In fact, it's an irony that we've seen all throughout chapter 16, 17, and 18 something we've become familiar with. It's the irony that everything that Saul does to thwart David's rise works ironically to David's advantage. It pleased Saul. Here's my chance to kill him. And in the end, it pleased David. Yes, I'd like to be the king's son-in-law. And the days had not expired. So David arose and went with his men, and he killed 200 men of the Philistines. He doubles what Saul demands. He goes above and beyond. And he brought back their foreskins and he gave them in the full court of the king that he might become the king's son in the law. 
David is not only faithful, he is brave, he is skilled, he's a powerful warrior. He has done this thing that, that, that where Saul set this bar so high. David has done this. He's a great warrior. But more than that, the Lord is with him. That's what Saul recognizes, as we saw in verse 28. Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David. Saul is still more afraid of David. Again, the irony in this passage, the, the switch, the turnaround. Not only has Saul failed to kill David, but he has given the one that he is most afraid of, afraid of a legitimate political claim to the throne. The one who he's keeping, trying to keep as far away as possible, he's the one who's giving him a platform and raising him up. Everything that Saul is doing, dead set on destroying this man. It's working complete opposite. It's almost funny. As you read this, this, this man who's dead set on destroying David. And everything that he tries is being thwarted. It's like a, it's like a cartoon. That, um, is it Wile E. Coyote? Who's always trying to get the roadrunner. And everything he does backfires. Everything he does falls back on him. It's hilarious. And yet here it's sad. It's sad how far, how far Saul has fallen. How far his sin and rebellion has taken him. We go on in verse 30 to see that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul. His name became highly esteemed. David's name continues to rise. The Lord is at work. And really, that's the last point here. God, the provident protector. Why is it that Saul is so thwarted in everything that he is trying to do? It's because he's going up against God. That's what you see behind the scenes. It's a behind-the-scenes struggle behind this man so full of hatred and a good God and his plan. And it's really not a struggle at all. It's Saul pulling against a wall that he'll never move. God will accomplish his purpose. He will do what he has said. He's a faithful God. That's what we see in verses 28 to 30. Deep down, Saul knows it. Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David. He has seen this over and over and over again. And everything that he tries only confirms it more and more to him. God is in this. Saul is more afraid. And even still, David goes back out to war in verse 30. And David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul. Why? Because David stands out, because David stands with the Lord, and because the Lord is with David. That's the key to all of this. The Lord is with David. The Lord's with him. So David stands out as God continues to work. The Lord protects him behind the scenes. He moves things around. He keeps David in the center of his will, protected in the plan that he has set. In fact, as we come to the end of this passage, what we see 
is we see David who serves his king faithfully. That's probably the most shocking thing in this passage, is David who keeps serving Saul faithfully. Even though in the beginning of this chapter, the first 16 verses, Saul tried to pin him to a wall. Right? Saul's hate for David, it's no secret. David knows it. And yet Saul continually fights for him. David continually fights for him. David is continually faithful to him. Later on, David says, I, I, I won't harm the Lord's anointed. He's a faithful man. How is it that David can serve his king so faithfully, a king who hates him, a king who's dead set on harming him? It's because David knows that his life is in the hands not of a king, his life is in the hands of the king, the king of kings. He knows that he has nothing to fear because he clings to the promises that God has made to him. He knows that that Saul is nothing in the hands of God against the hands of God, that God is on his side, the Lord is on his side. So guided by the Lord's provident hand, David's reputation continues to grow as he serves the king and trusts in the Lord. So brothers and sisters, as we come into this new year, it's kind of an odd passage to start the new year off on. As David is, is... commanded to go out and and kill a hundred Philistines and bring back their foreskins. And yet it's a beautiful passage in which we see God's providence at work in the background accomplishing his purposes. This is a passage that proclaims that our God is good, that he is faithful, that he is powerful, and that he is accomplishing his purposes. As that song that we sang right before the message, You Are Always Good, There's a confession in there that we don't always see that, right? Help my heart to believe, even though my eyes don't see. We don't always see that. We don't always see God's goodness at work. In fact, often in life, we are, we, we are tempted to question God's goodness. How can this possibly be good? And yet, we don't have to understand We just have to know that our God is good, that he is working all things for his purposes, and that it is better to be on his side. It's better to stand with the Lord than with anyone else. So brothers and sisters, let this passage, let it comfort your hearts. Let it strengthen your faith this evening as we launch into a new year. Let it fill you with hope that though the world be against you, God is still good. Though everything seems to be going wrong and falling apart, though your world seems to be on fire, God is still good. You say, how do you know that? Because he has promised us that he is good. And he has promised us that not only is he good, but that all that he does is for the good of those who are his. Just like David had a promise to cling to, we have promises to cling to. Know who your God is. Know what he has promised and cling to those promises, knowing that he will not change. He will not falter. He will not forget. 
He is faithful. Therefore, you be faithful. We're going to close this evening with the song that we sang earlier, Still My Soul Be Still. Still my soul be still and do not fear. Though winds of change may rage tomorrow, God is at your side. No longer dread the fires of unexpected sorrow. God, you are my God, and I will trust in you, and I will not be shaken. Lord of peace, renew a steadfast spirit in me to rest in you alone. Even in chapter 3, or in, in the third verse, Brothers and sisters, do not forsake the truth that you learned in the beginning. No matter what the year ahead holds, do not forsake the truth that you learned in the beginning. Rather, wait upon the Lord. Because you know who he is, and you know what he has promised. Wait upon the Lord, and hope will rise as stars appear when day is dimming. It is sure, because God is faithful. So God, you are my God, and I will trust in you and not be shaken. Let's stand together and sing, Still, my soul be still.